welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I love you guys, and I mean that sincerely. I've, I've just been thinking so much about what, what's been happening in society and culture and another week where we are tr- coming to a Sunday grieving a tragedy um, that is beyond words, and we prayed for it in our, our, our gathering this morning, and we're going to continue to pray on Tuesdays. And I just want to say for those of you that are, are just processing all of the events that are going on and you just need a pastor to talk to, would you just email us? We love just to walk with you um, and help you process the things and point you in the right direction. You're, you're not supposed to do this alone. And, um, and I, actually, that's what this sermon is about today. I, I want to tell you something. I have a secret to share with you. Um, I was watching City Slickers 1 a couple month, weeks ago, which I'm dating myself, um, but I love that movie. And there's like one thing, right? Do you guys, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Say like the one thing. Raise your hand if you will just aid yourself with city slickers. Nobody's raising their, okay, all right, all right. I want to share with you uh, something I've discovered about the meaning of life. It's a secret to the meaning of life. And it's this. The meaning of life is relationships. It's that simple. And so for those of you that are watching online right now, for, for various reasons, like some of you live in other states or countries, I get emails from different countries. Some of you are um, like, you're not able to attend a public gathering for various reasons. Some of you, you just find it convenient. And you know, I'm going to call you out. Um, you, you need to be here. Because relationship cannot really exist through the means of technology. I mean, it's helpful. There are stages of life and seasons of life where you need technology to empower relationship. I I was talking to uh, a young family with little kids, and they're still doing digital community right now because they've got little children. And to be together in that season where there's all these nap schedules and and bedtimes, they're they're connecting with other families on digital communities. That's amazing. But I want to tell you, the meaning of life is relationship. Relationship. The world is aching for authentic relationships. 40% of Americans struggle with loneliness, this sense of disconnection, and it's only increasing. And uh, we have this um, edge to the market. The church is designed to reveal to humanity how to live together well. We, are, we have the, 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 uh, the origin story to this thing called family, right? We have this origin story for this thing called community, friendship. We were designed by a loving community in himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in that image, he created us and we were designed to live in perfect loving union with him and with each other. And obviously that's been separated because of sin, but Jesus, God, throughout history, and then eventually through Jesus, has been restoring what he intended for creation. Perfect loving relationship with each other. And I want to say that that what I'm going to talk about today is how the Holy Spirit empowers community. You see, the Spirit empowers the church to flourish again, to to thrive as a future revelation of what all of creation is supposed to look like together. We as the body of Christ are designed as a sign for the world to see what it looks like to live 
in God's original creation. Now, I know that's hard to believe because church is where you go to get hurt. I, I mean, church hurt, the podcasts, the documentaries, the realities that we cannot just push off as a podcast, but the experiences collectively that we have from previous churches, from Garden Church, it's a reality because we're broken, we're fragile, we're, we're imperfect humans, but the church with all of its brokenness, with all of its fragility, with all of its nuance and all of the ways we mess it up, it is still to this day, God's original intent, his plan A for the cosmos to be renewed. There's no other organization in history. There's no other human movement in history that has done more good for this world, more brought more sustainable transformation than the church. If I could just list off the top of my head, not that I wrote it down. The Christian church is known for building throughout history, hospitals, orphanages, group homes, recovery homes, universities, uh, schools, community development organizations, moral and ethical signposts for human rights, human justice. Christian organizations around the world throughout history have, have worked to end poverty, slavery, human trafficking, and the list goes on and on and on. This is what we're a part of. And so I want to I invite you in um, to love the church. It's a sexy thing to hate the church today. It's like, it's like putting on a, a pair of baggy pants today. It's a cool thing to do. <laughs> it's a trend to flaunt the pain of an experience without processing or healing or using God-given tools from the Bible to heal and forgive. Instead, we use our cultural courage to broadcast our pain unprocessed, unfiltered to the world, continuing to shatter the witness of Jesus's bride. We have to build a better alternative. Are you, guys, are you guys with me? Like my, I, 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 it's easy to criticize. It's hard to build something different. There's a, someone says the best critique of the bad is the practice of the good. So let's just stop criticizing the bad and let's just build something better. So I want to give you tools for that today. Strategies, strategy for this. But let's, let's go to, um, this passage, which should be familiar in this church. It's Acts chapter two. I just want to paint this picture and then I'm going to give you a ton of practical things today. But I'm going to anchor this in this familiar text, Acts chapter two, verse 42. It's from um, shortly after the church. So we know next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. It's the, the day we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit on the church 50 days after um, his resurrection, Jesus uh, is raised from the dead. The, he says to the disciples to wait in Jerusalem to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, then the author of Acts, the, the writer Luke, records this. So Acts 2, verse 42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the, temp, uh, in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes, I'm reading over here, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In this little snapshot of the early church, there's like a nucleus in here that I believe is the, the ingredients, the recipe for a gospel movement. Now, what you have are some amazing concepts, ideas, a, a, a window into the first century church. Um, within a couple of chapters from here, the church already has major issues. So the early church was not perfect. So get that out of your head. The, little, the, the early church was not just small groups. Some of you are all about house churches. I'm all about house churches. I've been leading a small group of some kind for 15, uh, no, 15, 19 years, over half my life. 19 years I've been doing, because I believe you cannot, in my opinion, you cannot be a follower of Jesus without some type of small community, which we'll talk about. Um, but in this passage, we see the, this like nucleus for what it means to build a gospel movement, what, what it looks like to build the alternative in the future. The problem is this. Most of us don't have a healthy example of biblical community in our lives. Most of us have the unhelpful examples. Like if we are going to paint a picture with our experience, what not to do, we have plenty of colors to use, right? But if you were to say, how many of you have experienced this um, biblical community marked by the New Testament characteristics in the Holy Spirit, there would be less of us in the room. The commonality is brokenness. So I want to paint your imagination with what biblical community is and the, the, the requirements for building it today. You guys good with that? So here are a couple of points that I'm going to go through biblically. Number one, so as we define what biblical community is and how to build real authentic community, here's what we're going to do. We're going to define it first. Biblical community first is what you were made for. I want you to write this down. Humans are neurobiologically hardwired for community. In your DNA, in your brain chemistry, in the design, you're made for relationships. The authors of the book, The Relational Soul, says this. At the core of our being is this truth. We are designed for and defined by our relationships. We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be relational. We cannot exist well without connection and communion with another. So science proves that loneliness in your life is as bad as smoking cigarettes, as harmful to your health as stress. We know that we as human beings are biologically wired for community. We need one another. What the author of this book, uh, Relational Souls, getting at is you can have a great job. You can have tons of money. You can be living in your dream house. But if your closest relationships are fractured, life is miserable because you were made for community. Point number two about biblical community. Biblical community is more than just Christian friends hanging out. <laughs> can I just say that? Like, because you have a bunch of Christians over for your house for wine and cheese does not make that a biblical community. 
Jesus, when he defines his church, when he defines his kingdom family, he says in Mark chapter 3, verse 31, uh, it says, uh, when his mom asks for him, he says, uh, then Jesus, his mother and brothers alive, standing outside, they sent someone to, in to call for him. And the crowd was sitting around him. They said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. In that context and culture, they're summoning, summoning Jesus, which you get up and you respond in, a, in that type of context. But he says, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus redefines family, the institution of family in a familial context, in a context that held honoring your mother and father so high as those who do the will of the father around you. In other words, Christian community displaced biological connections in the first century. Still to this day, there are places where to become Christian is to reject your family and be hated by your family. That's what's expected of Christian communities. This new type of belonging based not on, uh, we agree upon the same things. We agree upon one thing, Jesus is Lord. We don't now get to define who else gets in. So when you have your little wine and cheese night, which is great with your Christian friends, you might go deep, which I highly recommend. But if there's not a missional impulse in the group, a welcoming of outsiders who are different than you, it is not the biblical community Jesus is building. When you do your little coffee shop confession times with your friends around the Bible, and you don't include outsiders when you don't have this sense of discipleship for the nations, not discipleship for information. You miss the thing Jesus has come to build, a tribe for all nations. Every language and culture will know Jesus. We are the third way, according to ancient scholars. There's, I was just reading this uh, text from uh, third and fourth century, uh, uh, sorry, second, third century Roman officials describing the early church. They weren't Romans. They weren't Jewish. They called them the third, they actually called them the third race, which is quite difficult to understand today, but it became known as the third way because they weren't like other, like the Jews that lived separately and secluded and worshiped their own God. They weren't like the Romans who worshiped all these different gods and different pagans. They were in culture, but they prayed for the emperor, but refused to worship him. This is what Jesus invites us into. So, We'll talk about what I mean by mission, that it's not just a bunch of Christian friends hanging out. It's just a, that's just a cultural thing we've produced in this nation. Where we, where there has to be a sense of mission. There has to be a sense of formation. This in, we don't just exist to hang. We exist to become more like Jesus. We exist to shape creation to become more like heaven. Are you guys good with this? We should absolutely do wine and cheese night. Just give me the invite. I'm for it. <laughs> but don't call that your church, right? And this is, this is what we've done. We, we've made Jesus like wine for connoisseurs, not water for the thirsty. And some of you have forgotten how thirsty you once were. So when Jesus builds his community, it's, 
It's defined by this mission of the Father's will. Biblical community is the context. Listen to this. Biblical community is the context for discipleship and transformation. You've heard this before here. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. Um, commands for the church to live towards one another. You can't do those without one another, right? Like, can I just make this obvious? Like you can't, there's such this, there's this fascination with discipleship today where like you can be a part of the garden yet be discipled by John Mark, right? Or, or someone else, your favorite podcast, whoever, church home. I don't, I don't know what you listen to. Um, I know what I listen to. Um, but we can be discipled by other people and we can do it on our own, uh, in our own homes, in our own comfort, with our own convenient ways. But when you look at the New Testament, you can't possibly be a disciple without other people. It, it's it's uh, part of what it looks like to live out this thing called faith. The dominant two, uh, metaphors for the, in the New Testament for the people of God are disciples and family. And so we need each other to live this thing out. A recent nationwide survey called uh, The State of Discipleship said that 38% of Americans preferred a method of discipleship that was on on their own. So 40% of the church feels like discipleship is about just doing it their own way. So you can't do that. I love what Gerald Sitzer says. He says, living with others is necessary for the cultivation of spiritual maturity for life in community provides the best. In fact, the only setting in which the most important of all virtues can be formed, and that is the virtue of love. How many of you, uh, how many of you know that love is never ideal? I'm going I'm to help you out right now. Ready? You're going to pay attention. Lean forward. Write this down. If you have an idea, a vision a hope for what love is going to look like in your life, you will never get it. You will never give it. You will live with an eternal state of disappointment and perhaps cynicism. And this happens in roommate situations. This happens with friendship circles. This happens with your spouse, with your parents, with your parent-in-laws. And we'll talk about why that is in a second. But love is never ideal. Love is never easy. Love is not an emotion. It is a disposition. It is a choice. It is an action. It is a direction, a path at which you walk down. And that will never be ideal. It is not ideal when my kids wake up in the middle of night sick, right? Like when you have a newborn baby and they they, they feed every two hours, it is not the ideal picture of family. The ideal picture of family is quietly napping for two and a half hours. Feeding goes perfect. They don't cry when somebody makes a weird sound. Like there's all sorts of idealization you have around becoming a new parent. And all of those go out the door when you give birth. True story. Am I right, parents? Apply that to any form of community and you will have the same breakdown. Discipleship, community is the context for discipleship. If the goal of our discipleship is to become a person of love, that will never happen outside of the church. And it will never happen outside of, uh, in, in some kind of pseudo community 
where, where we attract the same kinds of people or gathering what I call the anti-community of gathering around grievance and pain. What's real cool today, now, um, grief groups are different, but there are so many communities, communities forming that are anti-communities and establishments based on wounds, based on critique of the church, critique of their previous experience. And they find these little groups and they get together and they all share the same pain. And let me tell you something, that group will end. It will not sustain. And if you start a church out of that, woe to the community that's, that leads it and finds it. Because it will be defined on a singular purpose to not be what they once were, to not heal from their wounds. I mean, you look at all the, yeah, okay, I'm going to stop there. I have a whole lot. So when we talk about transformation, we're talking about spiritual formation. Slow church says spiritual formation. You know, what? I'm just going to skip this. This is a great, I don't, for the sake of time. Um, so tr- uh, community is the context for transformation. You will become like the people you hang out with. In the same way you will think and vote like the algorithms you are attached to, whether you know this or not, Your social media feed is a curated AI and algorithm that feeds you what you want, whether you like this or not. This is the world we live in. The same is true with community. It's just human nature. You will be a part of a group and you will become like those people. So if you hang out with idiots, you're going to become an idiot. You're like, whoa, that was really harsh. Okay, let me read the Bible. Proverbs says, walk with the wise and become wise for a company of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 14 says, stay away from a fool for you will not find knowledge on their lips. First Corinthians 15 says this way, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. All right, next one. Biblical community for the sake of time. Um, I've already been preaching for 23 minutes. Is that right? Man, this flybys when you're having fun. Okay, biblical community makes life better. Biblical community will make your life better. Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one, especially when you're moving from a house to another house. How many of you know two is better than one? It's just obvious. Okay, I get it, Solomon, the wisest man on earth. Okay, yes. If you're moving a mattress, good luck doing it on your own. That's the point. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Life is better when you journey with community through the highs and the lows. The the next part of that says, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I have been leading this church for about 14 years, unofficially, when we were a Long Beach project. And I have done a lot of weddings. And I can tell you consistently there's a theme for those couples who end in divorce, which there have been loads for lots of reasons. But if you were to diagnose where the problem began, obviously it began before they got married. But when, where I've seen couples break down faster than anyone else, it's when they leave community. Every, I can see it. like they were in a house church or they were in a small group and then they opt out because life required something else from them. They got a career and they they couldn't make it. They had a new child. This is what I see so often 
with new families, you go into this season where you, you, it is absolutely chaos when you have a new child. And then you have a second one. It's like you're just already drowning and then they hand you a child while you're drowning and it's chaos even more. And you think, I, I don't have capacity. And the truth is you can't, you can't not do it. So find a way, like a digital community, find a way to stay connected to biblical community because of what it will do. It will empower you to stay grounded. True biblical community, which we'll talk about what that, how that looks and plays itself out. But what I've seen is that when you opt out of meaningful community, you are exposing yourself to the world. You're exposing yourself to influences of other people that will shape the outcome of your relationship. I want to be in a community that calls me out. I have that. I have a staff team. I have an elder team. We have a a community that truths one another. And it's hard to stay in that posture. But if you don't have it, I've seen it. You f- it's like this Proverbs of you, you fall down and no one's there. So when you have a crisis, who's there for you? If you're part of a, a network of communities in our church, a house church, a missional community, there's, there's, there's people there that come around you in that crisis. When you're sick, they're dropping off meals. When you have a baby or you're suffering, they're dropping off, they're doing a meal train. They're, they're showing up to your house. When Alex and I were going through a really hard season, I had my mom and a community coming. They, we wouldn't let people inside because we were afraid of sickness. This is years ago. And they just stood across the street praying for us. I would see my mom just pacing back and forward with a couple other women and, and they were just covering us. And I, I, I didn't talk to them. I just knew I was being covered. Do you have that? I'll tell you this. If you don't, which many of us don't, life's just harder. You need to press in, which is, gets me to my point uh, five about biblical community. Biblical community is preventative. You don't even realize how many car accidents you prevented by being a good driver. It's like vitamins and exercise. You don't realize what you're doing to prevent the catastrophe, the blowout, the breakdown, by just being a part of a biblical community. Who are the people in your life that have permission to speak into you, that have permission to call out the anger, that have permission to call out the bitterness that popped up in that statement, the gossip that went a little too far when you were talking about a friend? Who is calling you out? This is what God designed us to be, a kind of community that holds us to a standard and say, no, 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 this is the image of God. Whatever that was, you need to repent. Let's get back on track. It prevents the catastrophe. Who holds you to God's standards? Single friends, I want to say something to you. My marriage has been the greatest gift in calling out my sin. When you get married, it is a full body mirror. Hopefully you have this with your spouse. I have it. If you study the Enneagram, I'm married to an eight. Eights love conflict. They speak truth at all costs. They don't care how it makes you feel. It's an extraordinary gift to be married to a truth teller. 
Um, and I'm seeing it as a gift because I wouldn't be who I am without Alex. And you stand in front of a mirror when you get married and you're like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't like how that looks all of a sudden. And, and they shape you. They help, they, they show you. I said last week, they, they, they respond to you when you are being shook and stuff comes out. All right, quiet in this section, Okay. Last week, I asked for feedback from the group, and I was given a junior high answer, and I'm not going to ask for that again. (laughs) Single friends, you, um, I want to tell you that when you get married, if that's your goal, that doesn't have to be the goal. That's not the goal, by the way. The goal isn't single people, you need to find a spouse. That's a terrible thing. The goal is Christ-likeness. And if God has invited you into a life of singleness, there are ways to grow into Christ-likeness, but it does involve community. And I want to just say, most married problems were actually single problems that weren't dealt with. So deal with it. Get with some close friends and say, hey, I want to I I have no secrets with you. I want to tell you what's really going on. I was just with a group of pastors a couple weeks ago, and the question I asked pastors, I love asking pastors this question, most pastors won't give me an answer. Is hey, there's an amazing group of men here. How awesome. Like this guy, this, this guy's super accomplished, book deals, New York Times bestseller. How awesome. What's the thing you don't want anyone to know in this room? <laughs> really? That's the question? Yes. Because I'm, I'm tired of watching the news. I said, like, we have to get to the thing underneath the thing underneath the thing, and we need to confront that with one another. And so you need to have those conversations. It's preventative. Make yourself accountable. There's no such thing as someone holding you accountable. It's self-accountability. It's vulnerability a vulnerability, and being honest before they ask you, oh, you didn't ask me the right questions. Well, tell them what to ask. And if they don't ask, give them the answer you need to give. Are you with me on this? Okay, now, Here's what I want to do. Here's where a bunch of content's going to come. How do we build authentic community? So if that's what it is, if it's preventative, if it's, if it's the context for discipleship, if it's the context for transformation, if it's what we are made for and it's more than just hanging out, then what do we do to build it? Because we're failing at it. I want to give you some insight. I'm going to give you seven requirements, seven requirements for building Biblical community, number one, authentic biblical community requires commitment, devotion, or covenant, for a better, a lack of a better word. It requires devotion. And let me say this, in our casual context, where we can opt in and out of community based on how we feel, the disciples devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. There was this passionate yes to this thing which meant there was an equally passionate no to all of the other things. And if this is the future of the world, we need to work better, do more to say yes to this and no to other things. Whether it's the rhythm of just coming on once a week on Sunday or joining a house church and being a part of a a discipleship community that's forming your soul, you need devotion and commitment over a long period of time. The word is covenant, which is about a commitment, an agreement, a faithfulness or a promise to one anothering. It's a way of living that ensures that you will be motivated, not on feelings, but on a choice to be together. And we need to become a covenantal community 
in our world where we can shop church, we can online watch and all the live streams and all the things, we need to covenant to each other, not to an idea, not to a brand, not to 500 people, but to a move of God that's built on meaningful connections and relationships. We need to covenant, covenant together and build each other. And I, I just know, let me say this, for, for my family, and I, I don't press this on anyone, as we wrestle with what it means to be a family with two kids in Southern California who are leading a church homeschooling, um, there are so many no's we have to make to say yes to the main thing. Not because I get paid by the church, but because we are trying to disciple our children into Christ. And when we say yes to baseball, that means our schedule is impacted by a Saturday and now Sunday games. If we say yes to swim, that means a couple of nights a week. If we say yes to jujitsu, if we say yes to art, if we say yes to guitar or piano, if we say yes to these things, it has a significant impact on our ability to be covenanted to our community. So we have, we have this regularly, my wife and I are like, what is what is our life revealing about our values? Well, let's go even worse. Let's go even worse. <laughs> what is our life revealing about our worship? If our kids just look at how we're engaging our schedule together, do they see Christ or do they see sports, school, stress, career? Devotion is number one. How are we doing? That one, that one stings a little bit. I've been, I've been processing this wound for about, I don't know, a week since I wrote this down. Number two, seven requirements of biblical community, consistent rhythms and time. So the ebb and flow, Acts 2, is that they met in homes and in the temple. They were meeting together. Um, do you have consistent, do you even have a schedule? <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a calendar that shows the priorities of your commitment to Jesus or commitment to community. So some of us, we just want it to be spontaneous. Like real biblical community is spontaneous. That's not necessarily true. Some of us, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we think that only means the spontaneity and the free-for-all. But the Holy Spirit meets you in preparation. Do you know that? The Holy Spirit meets you in writing. I mean, we wouldn't have the New Testament if it wasn't for somebody sitting down to write. So when it comes to community, you do need to set up rhythms, of engagement, 168 hours a week. How many hours a week do you give to being a part of the body of Christ, the bulwark of truth, the household of God, the living temple of the, of the Messiah King, his bride? So I, I don't know about you, but for us, it's, it's a midweek, it's a Sunday um, it's, it's connecting with our community. It's, it's regular times, and, and it's hard to maintain all the time. But that's why you need to see this as an intentionality. If you want the ingredients for biblical community, ask yourself, do you have a set time where that is taking place? Outside of Sunday. You guys okay with this? I feel like you got real quiet. I wasn't, I wasn't planning on that. But maybe we're exposing the, the things for why we're so upset about not having community, right? Number three, um, if you want it, you need, you need 
if you want, one of the requirements for biblical community is investment. I like to say, um, if you wait, it won't be there when you need it. It's like retirement, right? If you don't, or life insurance. If you don't invest now, you won't, it won't be there when you need it. If you don't start now sowing seeds of relationship, if there's a tragedy, you expect people to show up but have no relational investment. Do you know what I'm talking? So it's, e- it's easy when, for example, there was a crisis in January where we lost a dear friend, uh, a mother in our church, and it was tragic. There's a house church that she was in, and that house church was like without missing a beat, took care of the kids, got them beds and needs required for for them to stay with the sister, Um, was enabled to provide groceries and childcare and school drop-offs. Some of you are still doing it because Stephanie invested her life with the community. And when crisis came to her family, the community was like, you're my family, I can't help but do this. Sometimes crisis comes and people email us and they want support and we will support, but there's no investment into a community. So it's, it's just like throwing a dart against the wall. But when you've lived with a bullseye, your community comes around, they know exactly what to hit. Does that make sense? That we, are, we ache for meaningful community, but we just keep our options open. And let me say this about investment. I think there's three levels of investment. I don't have this written down, but this is how my wife and I engage uh, people. In, in, in when, when God puts them on our heart. So the first level is just to include people. If you want to build biblical community, you want to extend your friendship circle, just in, uh, include people in what you're already doing. Hey, I'm going to the bay with my kids. Just announcing it. Come if you want to come. I do this all the time. If I'm, I'm doing an event, I, I don't ever do something alone. I'm always throwing out a text message to friends in our church. Say, hey, we're going to be at the beach. Just come. We're thinking about getting away. You want to go with us? Like we, we just include them in our plans as a little family. That right there will open up the door. You don't realize that doing that for other people is a great gift to them, let alone to you and your family, especially if you're the dad that has to go and play with them alone at the beach. If there's other kids, it makes it a lot easier. I'm just saying... Another little secret about life. You're welcome for that. (laughs) Number two is to invite. So first, just include them into what you're already doing. The second is invite them uniquely. Like, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Hey, you want to go out for coffee? Let's let's just get some one-on-one time. I want to invite you into my life. Include them. Like going to the movies. Include them into the movies. Invite them specifically. And the last one is to choose to invest in them. So it's include, invite, and invest. So sometimes the Lord will like will ask, hey, we have so many people in our church. Who are you uniquely inviting us to invest in as a family? And we'll spend more time with that, that couple or that family or that person based on that. All right, keep going because I got a couple more to go through. Um, is this helpful? Okay. Number four. Uh, this is a great word. True thing. <laughs> Seven requirements of biblical community. Telling the truth, I don't like that. Truthing one another. So many of our problems today exist because niceness is an idol. We publicly agree and privately disagree. We publicly say, yeah, I'll be there, and then privately text or just don't show up and ghost. We cannot possibly be the temple of the living God by saying one thing and doing another. You know what happens in the church right away when when that happens? Ananias and Sapphira. God just judges them, two people die. That's a whole other story. 
That's why we got these, these rugs up here, right? Just in case. Bringing your gift to the altar, drop dead. Pastor John, roll him up. Let's bury him. That's the New Testament. You're like, don't talk about that Old Testament. No, that's the New Testament. It's after Acts 2. <laughs> Truth one another. Showing up in, with honesty, choosing to be your real self and not hiding. It means having hard conversations and pressing into conflict. This is why we need emotionally healthy relationships. There's a course that we're providing. So you can have emotionally healthy relationships. You can have a relationship where you stop pretending and wearing a mask and wonder why everyone else has a problem. And then you realize over time, you're the one with the problem. You're not showing up. You're not being honest. You're like, well, everyone's talking behind my back. You're not truthing them. Some of you aren't truthing your spouse. Everything okay? Yeah, I'm good. Are you sure you seem, no, I'm good. I'm great. Thanks so much. You're not being honest. See, the Christian context, the biblical context creates a safe environment for you to be your real self, to not have the right words, to say the wrong thing, to make a mistake, and to be part of a covenant group that says, it's okay, I forgive you. Let's, hey, why did you feel like you needed to withhold that information? Why did you feel like you needed to talk about me behind my back with this whole other group rather than come to me with your issue with me? Not that that's a specific thing that's happened in this church at all over the last 14 years, 100 times. Why not just come to the person? It says, if you have an issue, go to that person before you vent to your friends about this issue. Can I talk to you about it? I don't want to be gossiping, but let me just tell you this one thing. I, when, that is gossip. If you have to preface something with, I hope it's not gossip, I don't think it's gossip. It is. <laughs> Go to the person, have an awkward conversation. You could say, I don't know how to do this. I'm really bad at this. I'm, I'm not great with conflict. My family didn't teach me in my system. They just buried everything and then they blew up at each other. I actually don't talk to my dad anymore. I don't know how to do this, but I want to be in relationship with you. I really like our friendship. I've had a hard time. Have you noticed? Yeah, you've noticed. Can we process this stuff? I'm just solving like a thousand issues right now <laughs> with this one line. We were having this meeting. Danny Silk came to our church and he met with us for two days. And at the very end, this is so great. At the very end of two long days of culture building, two people on our staff brought up issues they had with me. And it was very hard to hear. And my reaction to them was not a Jesus reaction, which I talked to you about last week. My reaction is something I've learned growing up in my household, which was to know the issue and then deflect it back on them. It's a, it's a great uh, Aikido or jiu-jitsu move. It's basically like, cool, I see what you're doing, and I, I yugen back at you. <laughs> Which sounds funny now, but it was painful then. And Zach, who's on our board, like shaking. I remember he was trembling. He's like, hey, can I just pause? And he's like shaking. Darren, and he's, he's like, Danny, can I do? He's like, yeah, go ahead. And he's like, barely, he's like, I just feel like I watched you hear criticism and then shut it down. And it's our whole staff and all of our leaders. And I was like, I see that. How you get, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I was like, you're right. If we want to build a culture of healthy relationships, because success in the kingdom is, is healthy relationships, 
It starts with me reckoning. Thank you. Hey, let's go back. I apologize. Let's process this. Talk about vulnerability and hardship and calling. We're truthing one another. We need to become a, a community that truths one another. Now, let me say this. This is not giving you permission to go tell the truth to everyone that you know. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. In relationship to one another. In meaningful relationship to one another. Let's, let's work through the conflict. Let's show up and be real. You don't get to expose, like we're not gonna just start airing all of our laundry to everyone, right? That's, that's, that's just emotional, I'm not gonna use the word, that's just disgusting, right? It's letting things out and it's not emotional health. We're gonna build emotional health. Okay, number five, forgiveness. If we wanna be a church that builds biblical community, you have to be really good at forgiving one another. I'm gonna go fast because we don't have time. Um, you're, we're gonna be a church that forgives really well. Um, and that's really hard. Number six is humility. Uh, you know this passage, Philippians 2, but the, the only way to build biblical community is not to have the mindset of Christ although he mentions that, but to have the nature of Christ, which he saw himself as a servant, a bond servant, a slave. That we don't come into communities with, how are you going to meet my need? We come into, with, into biblical community with, how can I serve you? Are there needs that I can help serve? That's why we volunteer. That's why we care. That's why we love. Number seven, you have to have intention and purpose and a goal. Uh, this gets back to, you can't just be a bunch of Christians hanging out. But if you want healthy biblical community, you have to have the aim to become like Jesus and his mission of the nations. So without that, it says in Proverbs, without vision, the people will perish, right? And so as a community, as house churches, missional communities, as a church, we have a vision. We're not here because we're trying to build a big church. We're trying to transform the cosmos on earth as it is in heaven. We don't exist to meet the needs of our community. We exist to transform the city. And as a byproduct of our vision for transformation in the city and our vision of taking every person and forming them into the image of Christ through discipleship, the byproduct is this beautiful church where needs will get met sometimes. You're like, wait, I don't like this church all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's a lot of communities out there that exist to meet your needs. We are the only institution on earth that exists for its non-members. Think about that. Next time you're like, hey, I want to critique the worship this week, or I really don't like that you're giving the youth donuts, or what. I don't know why you want to critique the church. Like, There's a lot of other reasons, I'm sure. Think about your vision and purpose. Okay, I'm going to end with, here's the things that will destroy the community and then we'll pray. So I want to talk about the saboteurs of community. Number one, the lack of commitment in a casual relationship. In our, in our culture, we are formed to be a maybe culture. Not yes and not no, maybe. Number two, a lack of consistency and busyness. We see that this will destroy biblical community. Your hurried busyness and lack of consistency in community will destroy meaningful relationships unintentionally. Number three, what destroys biblical community? Shallow and unintentional lifestyles. You keep your life shallow when confronted with your house church. In other words, you don't show up. All the house church pastors are shaking their heads. <laughs> They're like, when you don't show up to group because you didn't feel like it, the group misses out 
on the divine encounter of your presence being there as a gift to the community. Oh, but I just don't feel like, I don't feel like I was really tired. Well, the cross isn't comfortable in case you forgot. Sorry about that. That was a, that was a pastor joke. Doesn't come with a Wi-Fi. Or it doesn't come with Wi-Fi. I'm just terrible jokes. I'm stopping right now. Number four, <laughs> deceit. I was like, beep, beep. deceit, hiding, dishonesty. We know that. Number five, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. Number six, I love this one. Uh, expectations, I'm going to read them. Go back. Expectations destroy community. Unclear, unspoken, unrealistic, unconscious, and unagreed upon expectations will destroy community. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, every human wish, dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves the dream of community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters that community of Christians with his demands, set up his own law, and judges the brethren and God and himself accordingly. In other words, expectations destroy community. So you have to process the things that you expect. And lastly, um, self-centered and pride will destroy community. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see that if we are going to become a, a sign of what's to come, we have to do the work to make this happen. It's not like, hey, do the work like a sermon series. It's not like do the work like um, I... Um, I'm going to show up to a course and I'm just going to get some information and then it's going to be peachy and, and it's going to be great. Do the work means you as a follower of Jesus need to recognize that if you want this thing called meaningful relationships and biblical community, you have to build it. You have to be a part of architecting the future church. It's not just for preachers with sneakers. It's not just for preachers or sermons or institutions. It's the people of God putting it on display. So I don't know about you, but I can I know this. So many people here are hurting from wounds of community. So many pe people out there are hurting because of wounds they carry from broken communities. We can't deny that we've hurt people here, that some of you have hurt people in this room. But what we can do moving forward is not just heal and forgive, but we can build something better together. Amen? All right, can we stand and we'll worship. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.